to know that what follows is not usual. Uh, normally, at this point in the service, the sermon slot, I or another preacher will take the text of scripture that has been read, explain it, draw out its significance and attempt to apply it to all of our lives. And last week, I expressed my hope and my prayer that this exercise, preaching the proclamation of the Word of God, will continue until the Lord comes to be a high non-negotiable priority for Christ Community Church. But um, this morning, a week from my retirement from this pulpit, I want to do something different. We will come back to the text that Mike just led us in reading, but only after some reflections on the last 26 and a half years of ministry together. You can think of this as kind of an extended sermon introduction. And let me start by remembering some things that we have done together that give me satisfaction as I look back on our ministry together. No particular order to them, although this first is one of the earliest. 26 years ago, the Christian Arts Auditorium sat empty much of the time. An outside group, I believe it was one of our local schools, inquired about using that facility for one of their events, and our elders, not too sure about this, agreed to a, a one-year experiment. And ever since then, that marvelous facility has been open to our community, and literally thousands of people have crossed the threshold of our campus who might not have otherwise made their way to this church. I think that was a, a good decision. And then a few years later, we concluded that like the Christian Arts Auditorium, Camp Zion could be more fully utilized, and so we freed Dale Stewart from his halftime responsibilities here as youth pastor so that he could concentrate full-time on developing our Door County ministry into a year-round proposition, and I think that that was a good decision. After a few years of study of what it might look like for our church to better reach our multi-ethnic community, the board and staff concluded that African Americans in Zion and our area are well served by some strong congregations, but not much was being done among Hispanic folk, and so we prayerfully agreed to start, God helping us, a Hispanic ministry. And God brought to us a good man, a good match to shepherd that work, and since then, dozens of brothers and sisters for whom English is a second language. Praise God, another good decision. We, yeah, let's welcome, this is for you, our Hispanic brothers and sisters. And for uh, Pastor Eliel as well. Uh, we started Awana. We started MOPS, Mothers of Preschoolers, and Grief Share. We sent out missionaries. We weaned our, our overseas partners from unhealthy 
dependence on us, and thanks, Mike, for your leadership in that area. I, I think we, we honored God in how we responded to COVID madness. Um, the conservatory has enriched my family. Camp Zion has been wonderful for my children. Solid children's ministries and youth ministry have been wonderful for my children. Um, two of my sons found their wives at Christ Community Church. <laughs> Gary clapped. He meant to say amen. Um, I have enjoyed blended worship music, numerous arts events, acting in the passion play, harmonious board relations, which cannot be taken for granted, harmonious staff relations. We've a good staff here. Uh, my fellow elders have supported my desire to teach and write about preaching. And by the way, some of you have asked, what are we going to do in the next chapter of life? Jennifer and I both would like to do some writing. Um, she and I and, and our kids too have been privileged to um, visit our mission works. God has truly positioned our church to make a difference around the world. I think of baptisms and campfires, and New Year's Eve stand-up comics, staff parties, moments like the first time swine's flesh was served inside this building, <laughs> when the men's ministry had a pancake supper and there were two bins, one labeled beef, the other labeled non-beef. Well, there are many other things that I could mention, but this sampling is enough to make my point for now. Um, there's so much for which I can praise God as I reflect on our years together. It has been a privilege to pastor here. Some things I wish were different. I wish we could have kept our orchestra and concert band going strong. Uh, I wish that Camp Zion's gathering place was finished before I retired. I would have liked to have seen a bell tower out here and our historic bell up and ringable on occasion. Um, I would have liked to have started a ministry with ex-cons, a ministry with deaf people, a Christian school. Maybe, God willing, those things or others are in the future. Naturally, I could wish that attendance had continued to grow as it did earlier on in our time together. Periodically, we have done some homework trying to get a, a grip on why attendance may have plateaued and then gradually declined and uh, found no pattern that um, concerned us that there was something fundamentally unhealthy here, our best answer is that we've had 400 plus funerals. Three times the number, the average for a church our size. I could wish that I was a better pastor, a better Christian. On some things I have a clear conscience, like being a resident theologian. Those words are part of my written job description. And so in 
preaching and teaching and leading, I have tried to guide the church and our leaders on our theology and practice of baptism. Our convictions about homosexuality, transgenderism, and church discipline, our response to cultural change, our commitment to biblical counseling. From this pulpit, I have commended a biblical vision of manhood and womanhood, biblical convictions on the sanctity of life and the sanctity of marriage. I don't think that I have shied away from any subject because it was politically incorrect. I've preached a lot from the Old Testament, especially the Psalms, and I hope that one result is that you too will love the Bible Jesus read. I've preached and tried to model gladness in God. And this ministry of the word has been a great joy. However, if you ask me how I'm doing and I say better than I deserve, I'm not trying to be clever or cute. I know, as Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 1, that it is by God's mercy we have this ministry. I wish that I had more energy and had accomplished more. I wish I had spent more time mentoring young men. I wish I'd learned Spanish. I tried a few years ago, but discovered there is a reason that mission agencies want young missionary candidates. Yeah. I wish I had let my hair down more often. What I mean by that is that um, friends of my children who have been in our home and our staff and my hiking partners have seen a different side of me, but some people, I'm sure, um, view me as um, stiff or unapproachable, aloof, because they've only seen my serious side. However, I would remind my hiking partners that what happens in Colorado stays in Colorado. I have not been good at conflict resolution. I'm a clumsy personal evangelist. My prayer life is not exemplary. I'm sure I've hurt people by forgetting their names or neglecting to visit. And recently I read a sentence that jumped off the page. There is not a pastor anywhere who does not regularly disappoint. Which brings us back to 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. We, Paul primarily had in mind himself and his ministry partners, but what he says in the following, uh, the surrounding context applies to all Christians. We have this, this treasure, the gospel and the gospel ministry the good news of all that God is for us in Jesus and the privilege of proclaiming that good news. We have this treasure in jars of clay, ordinary clay pots, brown paper bags. That's what I am. That's what you are. In the first century, people used jars of clay, cheap and easy to make, 
for all kinds of ordinary, unglorious, nothing special household purposes. They might, if fortunate enough to have any treasure, hide that treasure in clay jars because no thief would bother looking in such an ordinary vessel. What's Paul saying? The gospel is special. Jesus is special. Paul is nothing special. Just a clay jar. Vernon Grounds, the retired president of Denver Seminary, was a mentor and friend. And so I asked him to come uh, more than 26 years ago to preach at an installation service where I formally took up my role here as senior pastor. And um, on that occasion, he said some nice things about me, but then he turned and looked at me and said, in effect, never forget that you're nothing special. Nothing special about jars of clay. One retires, you get another. For one thing, jars of clay are frail. Physically frail. I said I wish I had more energy. I, I um, wish it were different, but I, in fact, am one of those people who needs eight and a half or nine hours of sleep every night. And I have ambitions to do more than I can do physically. And you who are still young and in robust health might have to take my word for it, but when you get older, it gets worse. Um, you get tired more easily. Um, you get forgetful, and particularly of names. Uh, you might wake up in the morning with searing pain just because you slept on your shoulder wrong. We are physically frail. And not only frail, foolish too often. We jars of clay um, make mistakes. God preserve us from making the worst kind of mistakes that ruin a ministry or a church's reputation. God has entrusted his gospel, his work in the world, this treasure to clay jars like, like me and like you and like some that evangelist Luis Palau writes about. The British missionaries who led my family to Christ made all the cultural mistakes in the book. I remember as a little boy sitting in the front row watching this poor man. It was as hot as blazes in the tropical summer. Being a proper Britisher, he not only wore a tweed suit, but a vest and thick socks. He would stand there sweating and sweating. I remember looking at the poor fellow and saying, why doesn't he take his coat off? But a proper Britisher in those days kept his coat on and toughed it out. He massacred the Spanish language and had strange foreign habits. But because of this fellow, my father went to heaven. Imagine that your pastoral search committee receives a resume with a cover letter like this one from a would-be 
candidate for the job. I would like to apply for the pastoral vacancy you advertised. I have many qualifications that I think you would appreciate. I'm a good organizer. I've been a leader most places I've gone. I have been able to preach with power, though people say I'm not terribly eloquent. I've done some writing, but some people have found my letters hard to understand, and I'm the first to admit my handwriting is barely legible. I'm over 50 years old. I've never preached in one place for more than three years at a time, and most of the churches I've served have been small. In some places, my ministry has led to riots and disturbances, and I've been jailed several times, unjustly, of course. My health is not good, but I get quite a bit done, and I have a good work ethic. I generally work well with people, but I have been known to knock heads with colleagues and have found that there are some people I simply can't work with. I'm pretty good with names, but have been known to forget who I baptized. <laughs> I don't have a permanent address, but I will do my best to keep in touch. You probably realize that this could be a cover letter for the restless, contentious, absent-minded, over-the-hill, jailbird jar of clay we know as the Apostle Paul. Why has God entrusted his treasure to the likes of us. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 4 says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The power released when the Holy Spirit uses a human voice box to proclaim God's word. The power that transformed murderous Saul into saintly Saint Paul. The power that makes naturally timid people bold, naturally selfish people generous, naturally cranky people almost likable. <laughs> the power that breaks addictions and sets prisoners free the power, power, wonder-working power that raises dead men to life. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And so, people praise the treasure, not the pot. Johnny Erickson, whose story I probably don't need to retell, prayed for a miracle, thinking that God could heal her from her paralysis, and what a testimony that would be to a watching world. But if not, and she began to understand that God could accomplish more through her weakness than through her healing. And for decades, he's been doing just that. His power has been made perfect in her weakness. Through her books, her artwork, her speaking, her organization, she's touched millions of people. Confined to a wheelchair with virtually no physical strength, she has, you could say, changed the world. She tells the story of being in the ladies' room during a Christian women's conference 
and a well-meaning woman was putting on lipstick looking in the mirror uh, when Johnny came in and the woman said, oh Johnny, you always look so together, so happy in your wheelchair. I wish I had your joy. And several women around nodded and says, yeah, how do you do it? She replied, I, I don't do it. Let me tell you how it works. After my husband, Ken, leaves for work at 6 in the morning, I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, Oh, God, my friend will soon give me a bath, dress me, sit me up in a chair, comb my hair, brush my teeth, I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't even have a smile to take into the day. But you do, Lord. May I have yours? God, I need you desperately. So one of the women asked, uh, what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door? I turned my head toward her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's. And so the psalmist's wish is granted. Not to us, O oh Lord, to thy name.